It's great to see that case rates are down this week. I'm not declaring victory on any of that because it's only going to be over this weekend that we'll know the effect of the holiday weekend, including the, um, the, the big football games and all those kinds of activities. Welcome to the Rain Insights on COVID-19 podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. Let's listen as Rain founder David Lawrence speaks with doctors Fred Southwick and Bill Lang for our weekly coronavirus update. Fred and Bill, once again, uh, our thanks. Uh, a number of topics, obviously. We now have a uh, presidential and governmental mandate around the vaccine. be great to get an update on the data, uh, the status of a third vaccine. And if we still have some time, I'll uh, raise one other question that has been coming up from our audience. But why don't we start off on your thoughts about the government mandate? Well, um, I'll go first because I know Bill and Bill and I have had a little difference on this. I, I am very pleased. I, I have felt for a very long time that the problem we have with convincing people is we know from population studies uh, that about 25% of individuals will be uh, called, are highly resistant to change and are not, there's no rational way to convince them to take the vaccine. The problem is the pandemic is raging on because we have too many people unvaccinated. And therefore, the only way to get this under control was to actually make it mandatory. And that's the right thing to do. The Delta variant is so much more infectious than any other variant that uh, using masks and social distancing uh, would help, but would not uh, slow the spread to the point that the reproductive rate would get below one. A combination of vaccination, masks, social distancing, I think has the potential to get the reproductive rate below one. And once it's below one, everything will finally quiet down. And the big, I think the red light was um, that we are, uh, the economy was flagging in this last, uh, this last month. So the, uh, there was an impact of the Delta variant on actual business activity, as would be expected. So I think it's good from a standpoint of, of deaths and infections, and it's good from the standpoint of business, improving business, uh, uh, the business environment. Bill, your thoughts? You know, and uh, Fred, I, I don't think you and I disagree at all on the importance of vaccination. Our, my only disagreement was was just kind of the, the personal liberty part of it. And where do you draw a line? Um, and that's that's just it's the, the mandate of it. However, is, as you know, I work with a, a bunch of uh, fairly large companies and the many of these companies also have the concern about requiring vaccination of their employees, kind of a, more of a corporate corporate culture issue. And in some cases, they're feeling, they feel more comfortable now that, hey, it's taken out of our hands. You know, if even whether we do or do not believe that it's a good thing, it's it's now it's not our issue. Um, and from that standpoint, it makes it makes it much easier. Um, one of the big problems that that we're already seeing with the what we think the mandate is going to be, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, um, is this huge testing requirement that goes along if you are not vaccinated, because this still allows people outside of the federal government. Um, it still allows companies to 
allow their employees not to get vaccinated if they get tested on a weekly basis. Well, companies have already had a shortage of, of access to testing for indicated testing. Now, if, if we have to start testing you know, as much as, you know, at least initially, you know, half the population, um, half the working population, we don't have the test capability in the United States to, to do that, um, at that at that volume. And that's going to be a real problem. But let me let me go back now to just a moment about the what actually happened. The answer is we don't know. We know the we know the top line that the the president is directing the Occupational Safety and Health Administration under the Occupational Safety and Health Act to take an action to protect the safety of workers in a workplace. Now that will be done as an emergency temporary standard. Um, and the, the mechanism of doing even an emergency temporary standard typically takes at least at least a, a few days, a few business days, you know, which ends up being a couple of weeks uh, to get the emergency temporary standard issued. And then it becomes the issue, the issue of what is the authority of the federal government to issue that emergency temporary standard on a nationwide basis because the the occupational safety and health act generally applies to individual workplaces so it's going to be it's going to be very very difficult um there's going to be a lot of constitutional um challenges to this it's not clear at all which way it will end up going because there, there obviously is a public health emergency, and it may be that that, that it's, it's reasonable within the Occupational Safety and Health Act, but a lot to be seen. So, by the way, I know you guys are um, sort of students, great observers. I can't help but watch the opening of football season, conclusion of the baseball season, the U.S. Open, various golf tournaments and observe that uh, many people obviously are not wearing masks. And uh, there are varying degrees around this country of enforcing of the vaccine mandate. And uh, as you also know, you know, there have been some criminal cases that have now been brought uh, for people who are trafficking in uh, fraudulent documents of vaccination. So, um, you know, I, Fred, I'm, I'll go back to your point that you know, you see, you see the numbers on the economy and obviously, um, you know, you try to convince people to do the right thing on their own, but you know, the government's mandate here, um, you know, just seems like one, almost one final effort to, to get this done. And if you two were looking to the crystal ball, Fred, you're down in Florida, Bill, you're based in the Northeast, but you know, if you have clients elsewhere, do you think this will make a difference? I think that's really the point here. Uh, will this bring the numbers up in terms of the percentage of the population that's been vaccinated? I, I do think that the mandate will make a difference. However, uh, because of the high reproductive rate of the Delta variant, um, it's uh, it, one person can infect six to eight individuals. That means that the percent of the population that will need to be uh, have achieved immunity will need to be in the order of 85 to 90 percent. So um, the mandate still will not cover everyone. It only covers those who have businesses over 100 individuals. So in addition 
to vaccination. It would be very important uh, if we can possibly do it to encourage and actually, whenever possible, mandate the use of masks in public areas where there are crowds and try to minimize those crowds. And uh, David, you mentioned the football games and I actually took a picture of of individuals at the the University of Florida football game. And I, I took a picture, I think of about 50 people and one only one person was wearing a mask and none of the coaches were wearing masks. Now this is in contra, uh, contradicts what we did earlier in the outbreak when um, everybody wore a mask and we had we were keeping social distancing for any large events. I guess the difference is there's a significant percent that are vaccinated that are protected which protects them for the most part from hospitalizations and dying. So I think that's why we're being more cavalier. But as we know, there are 30 to 40% of the people in that crowd were not vaccinated or not vaccinated. And they were putting themselves in significant danger because the Delta variant does spread more readily in outdoor spaces uh, when there's crowding as compared to the previous uh, variants and the original uh, virus. So moving to the um, and following on from that, because this is this is relevant, um, moving to kind of the data over the last week, the you know, cases in the United States in general are have been consistently down over the, the last week, roughly 10 uh, percent week over week in Florida. They're down by about a third week over week. Um, and when you look at it on a state by state basis, there's only um, I think I think it's 11 states today that have case rates that are going up. So that all sounds great. However, going back to what Fred was just talking about, last weekend, the big holiday weekend, first big weekend of football season, um, and it's really the, the, this is the week that kids are going back to school. So I'd say it's really, it's great to see that case rates are down this week. Um, We're far enough from the weekend that the, the reporting issues um, should be all uh, we've we were through that because over the weekend many states just didn't report, uh, so we should be picking all that data up. So all of that looks really good, but I just I'm not declaring victory on any of that because we don't know what the effect. It's only going to be over this weekend that we'll know the effect of the holiday weekend, including the um, the, the big football games and all those kinds of activities. Um, plus, it's the the bulk of the United States is kids are just going back to school last week and this week. Uh, so if if the schools are going to play a major role, we're not going to see that probably until, you know, over over the course of the next week. So this time next week, if the data still looks as good as it does right now, um, I'm going to feel a lot better, but I'm not there yet. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, the next two weeks are going to be telling. Now, what's interesting in both Great Britain and particularly in India, that the uh, epidemic in, in those two countries suddenly dropped and they, there was no real clear explanation for that. And one of the theories is that because the Delta variant is so contagious, all those who were ignoring social distancing, masks, and, and not getting vaccinated, uh, who were out in public, had all become infected, if not clinically, subclinically, 
and therefore all those with a higher risk behaviors actually were now immune from a natural herd immunity. And that may be the explanation. We really don't know. I'm hoping that that's what's going on here. And if that's the case, then we might see the cases continue to drop. If that's not the case, then I expect a significant surge and we'll know, we'll begin to see it probably Monday or Tuesday of this, this coming week. All right, so we'll stay tuned and obviously we'll have more to report uh, next week. And just as an editorial comment, which I know you guys share this view, so much of the response, so much of the communications with the public, so many of the, we'll call it the rules and regulations, really seem to be driven through a political lens and continue to uh, be so. And, you know, I'll note just, you know, in California, you're having mandatory vaccination for students 12 and over. I think that's in Los Angeles. In New York, it's a different conclusion. And uh, just sort of speaking for, you know, the people in our network, uh, businesses and community groups and not-for-profits, they just want consistency in terms of the advice. Just, you know, provide sort of as clear as possible, recognizing that science continues to learn about this, but there really is an absence of consistent advice about what to do, uh, both in terms of vaccinations and mandates, and uh, but also, you know, as you reopen schools, the quality of the environment, issues around air circulation and masking, et cetera. So in light of the data, um, the big question that is also looming is the potential of a vaccine for children under 12. Bill, you had commented on this before, but the FDA approval of Moderna's uh, vaccine. Sure. Well, let me, let me, I can hit each of them fairly quickly and then Fred will have his, his thoughts on it. Um, but the the children's vaccine, you know, I think two weeks ago, I said that it looks like from reading the tea leaves, it's going to be pushed off until roughly uh, first of the year. However, last week, there was some uh, talk that the that the administration was really pushing hard on the FDA to move the the uh, approval of children's vaccine, which meant the FDA pushing really hard on the uh, on the manufacturers to get the data in, and manufacturers said that they think they can have the data by mid October. So it may be that sometime in November that we'll have approval of the um, uh, of the vaccine for children, at least the the six to twelve group. Probably not, probably not the younger group, but six to twelve. Um, so that's one. Then in terms of the uh, third, sh the, the uh, Moderna approval, um, that, that's been on track to be roughly a month behind the, the Pfizer approval. So I would think that we're probably going to see Moderna approval here over the next couple of weeks. I, I, I'd like to say certainly before the 1st of October, but I think that'll be, that'll be pretty soon. I don't think it really makes a difference, though, because... Moderna, because there was already an approved vaccine, and for the average person out there um, who was who was saying that they're not going to get vaccinated because the vaccine's not approved, 
Well, that excuse is off the table. The Pfizer is is widely available. So I don't think the approval of Moderna makes a, any difference in the vaccination rates that we're seeing. And then on to the uh, booster or not to boost. Um, uh, you, you know, it's I, I don't mean to sound like a lawyer. I never want to sound like a lawyer, but it depends. <laughs> Um, the Pfizer data is pretty good. And this is where I, Fred can really comment on this. The Pfizer data is is pretty good that a booster is going to be needed, and that's because we're, the Pfizer was a was a lower dose of the original payload of the mRNA, uh, plus it was given closer together, and both both of those things uh, decrease the long term um, antibody response. The Moderna has been saying all along, up until it seems like they got their arm twisted a couple of weeks ago, that they've been saying, we don't see it. We don't see the need for for us. Then they started saying yes. Um, big study came out yesterday that said, again, Moderna, the, Moderna the, the antibody levels and the epidemiologic data with Moderna is saying it's not it's not a clear need for an additional vaccination. Plus, Moderna is testing, uh, they're not asking to give a third vac- third same dose vaccination. They say if they do it, it'll be a half dose. But because they're changing the dose, it's going to take a, a significant amendment to the emergency use authorization. And so that may delay even further the use of a Moderna booster. So the sum of all that, I think that we're going to have a Pfizer booster approved towards the end of this month. I don't know if it'll make the uh, September 20th date that the White House originally put out. I think that a booster, a half-dose booster for Moderna is possible, but that probably won't come until next month um, if it does come. And J&J, it's just I'm not clear at all on where we stand with J&J. Bill, that was an excellent summary. I, I Uh, that that accurately reflects the the data. And what they're doing, though, predominantly, the conclusions uh, by Pfizer are the result of neutralizing antibody studies, where you mix uh, serum from people that have been vaccinated at different dilutions and see at what level it kills the virus. When it gets down to under 1 to 30, they worry that your protection is reduced. That's just what we call a surrogate marker. It may, uh, I think it overestimates the deterioration of the vaccine and does not take into account cell-mediated immunity and the ability of actually B cells to, when they get exposed to the virus, to rev up the concentration of, of uh, antibody very, very quickly. So, uh, there is a tremendous debate because should this vaccine be going to us in boosters or should those doses be going to other countries that are not yet vaccinated? Um, if you really want to be the most effective at controlling the pandemic rather than giving boosters to most individuals, it would make sense to uh, transport that vaccine to other countries that have insufficient vaccine. So I think that's where we are. And it is true, Moderna, when you look at the initial levels of neutralizing antibody and total antibody, they are about two to threefold higher with Moderna than they are with Pfizer, explaining why the levels are staying up for longer uh, with the Moderna vaccine. 
And this most recent, the most recent study I saw just this week was that epidemiologically, that's it's bearing out. We're actually seeing less less um, uh, breakthrough infections with Moderna than with Pfizer. So, the the one the one thing I would say, Fred, about the the international piece of it is, I agree completely. There's that this whole ethical issue: should resource replete nations be taking up vaccine that could be used by uh, emerging markets. The one thing that on that is that the mRNA vaccines do not lend themselves very well at all to the emerging markets because of the, the, the cold chain and logistics requirements in giving them. But that doesn't apply to J&J. That doesn't apply to AstraZeneca. Uh, that, that probably will not apply to Novavax, which has been very quiet on what's happening with that next front. So from that standpoint, I, I don't feel quite as bad about the, the, the idea of a booster, but clearly we need to get the rest of the world covered. Yeah, Bill, that is a very important point. All right. So just in a couple of minutes that we have remaining, uh, would like to ask a rhetorical question, uh, which is, does the data continue to demonstrate that the overwhelming number of people who now require hospitalizations are individuals who have not been vaccinated. I saw a number as high as 99% of the admissions. Um, and is the data still bearing that out? Uh, I can tell you at UF Health, uh, it definitely is. Uh, we actually have graphs of each each week, and it's a, about it's 95% of those that are hospitalized are unvaccinated, and about anywhere from 2 to 5% are vaccinated. And those that are vaccinated, it's it's almost always individuals over the age of 65 or those that are immunocompromised. Either they have cancer or active cancer or they're a transplant patient who is receiving strong immunosuppressives. There's also some degree of concern about the mu variant, which uh, uh, experts are tracking now and trying to understand. What can you share uh, with us about what you know and what we should be looking for? Yeah, the mu variant uh, originated in Colombia, uh, and um, it is spreading throughout the United States. It represents a very low percentage at this point, but it has uh, most of the variants have between uh, nine and twelve amino acid mutations, or changes in amino acids. And this one has nine. And it has a lot of the mutations that the other variants have had, like the EEC, E484K. And it also has a, a mutation at the furin uh, cleavage site, which we talked about with the Delta mutant, turns out to be very, very important. And that's the P, it's a P681H. Uh, and uh, in the Delta variant, it's a, it's a mutation at that same site. And they were actually, it's a very nice study uh, for the Delta variant showing that this, the mutation, the Delta actually causes it when the virus is replicated in the cells, it's actually the, uh, the spike protein is cleaved by furin before it's released. So the virus is activated at the point of release from cells so it can get into cells three to five times faster. Now, I cannot, I have not seen a reproductive rate for the mu variant yet. So we don't know whether or not it's as infectious 
as the Delta variant. I doubt if it is. But we do know that the uh, E484K does render vaccines a little less effective. And there's one uh, study in Rome, which has actually tested Sarah uh, with the uh, Pfizer vaccine and shown that neutralizing antibody titers are a little bit lower, but still there's a very, the vaccine still is protective. So unless if this mu uh, variant does not have as high reproductive rate as the Delta variant, uh, it's highly unlikely it will take over um, looking at the mutations uh, that are present in this virus. So one article I read this last week was an opinion, not a, not, it was from a, vi a virologist opinion article, um, and it was talking about mu will be sporadic um, because it does have all these uh, these mutations that do increase its effectiveness and resistance. Um, but Delta is so much more uh, effective at creating infection that it will keep mu from becoming a major player. But then the article went on to say, and, and Fred, I'd be very interested in your thoughts on this, is that the Delta variant, that any new significant um, mutations will likely come off of the mu variant. And therefore, as we start thinking about uh, additional vaccination, getting a, a, a modified vaccination that is more tailored towards Delta is going to be very, very important, uh, not only for stopping us, stopping the epidemic where it is now, but for protecting us in the future. Yeah, I, I agree. There's with the Delta spreading in, in such a huge population, the probability of a gain of function, further gain of function mutation is, is very high. Remember the ability to replicate the RNA, there are errors made by the virus, so mutations are expected. The more people that are, in, the more likely there will be a mutation that improves its, its ability to uh, spread in the population. So what I would predict is the Delta, uh, Delta variant that is more resistant to the vaccine is possible as long as we have so many people unvaccinated who are then infecting those that are vaccinated. And then it, the, these escape variants will come from infected vaccinated individuals. Fred, Bill, again, thanks for really keeping us informed and um, situationally aware here. Look forward to speaking next week. This has been very, very helpful. And in the interim, just stay safe and well. Thank you, David. Thanks, David. Dr. Bill Lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents, including pandemics. Dr. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. Both doctors are part of the RAIN Expert Network. Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Sign up for our coronavirus solution and get critical information on the COVID-19 pandemic delivered daily. Visit us at RAINnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E-Network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.